Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Okay, any questions? Let me see who had a reward those who are here the most. That's the way it goes. <laughs> well, let me talk to some of the women first, and I'll come back to you, ma'am. The supply chain that we're seeing right now, the disruptions that are going on. Right now, we're seeing our American ports that are running at 60% capacity. Um, but the problem is right now that they were closing at night and on Sundays. And do you think that the president right now should be talking to the unions and perhaps asking them to loosen up some of their worker regulations as to, as to when they should be working so they can be working more often and we should be able to start our supply chain? Well, the supply chain issue is not just an issue of what happens here. The supply chain is an issue globally. And Hold on a second. Holy. That's no way to start a segment. It's no way to start a show. I want to apologize to you here and now because to hear Nancy Pelosi right off the bat deflect, 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 as opposed to engage, here's what we need to do to get the supply chain moving and growing. Working properly. This is everything that doesn't work. It's why, you know, when they talk to Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, who is a guy in way over his head, as we have said from the beginning, well, what are you going to do about the supply chain issues? What are you doing about transportation? You've got all these issues with Southwest Airlines and maybe others because of these vaccine mandates. Well, we've put together some people and we're having discussions about it. This is your answer? You're having a, you're, 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 you're having a confab? Less talking, more working. But the problem is he doesn't know how to do it. You don't think Pete Buttigieg actually knows what he's doing, do you? You, Do you know what kind of nonsense sycophant you have to be to think that Pete Buttigieg knows what he's doing? I didn't say he isn't a smart guy. I'm saying he doesn't know what he's doing. You would literally have to be a local reporter who has spent his life writing about him in hopes of one day making it to the big leagues and being thought of as cool in order to think Pete Buttigieg knows what he's doing. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. 833-468-8669. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. He doesn't know. And this is obvious. And neither does the administration. So this was Speaker Pelosi today. This is just remarkably frustrating that the Speaker of the House doesn't have anything solution-wise. Why not ask her? No, rather, she would discuss the idea, this isn't just us, don't you know? Something that we talked about at, at the meeting, because there's uh, there, um, uh, obstructions in other countries of product even making it to the ships to come to our country. Yeah, we've got to address that issue because it has a direct impact on everything, because we are so dependent on, uh, global, on global trade and our trade going out as well. Yes, sir. No kidding. No kidding. How shocking and surprising. It's just, it's, it's just remarkable that, that she doesn't, there's no, not even a thought to an answer. But then there, was, then there was this. This was a question asked about the $3.5 trillion this non-infrastructure infrastructure bill, and she's very upset 
with it. That this package may ultimately drop either universal pre-K, child tax credit expansion, tuition-free community college, paid med family leave, or even the Medicare expansion? Well, let me just say that at $3.5 trillion, we were doing everything well. So not a question of now we're doing it well because it's less money. But the fact is, is that if there is are fewer dollars to spend, their choices to be made. And She's continuing down the road that the amount of money spent is inconsequential. What is it that we value? Well, I would put forth, uh, Speaker Pelosi, you don't really have good values. You're not even willing to call Ilhan Omar an anti-Semite. What values do you have? Speaking of, have you heard this from the guys over at Ben & Jerry's? They're getting asked about, you know, not selling in, in, in Israel. They don't sell Ben and Jerry's in Israel because Israel's an apartheid state, which, of course, it isn't. But haters going to hate and buy into leftist memes. And then they don't even understand the anti-Semitism of it all. This isn't about Israeli policy. This is about Israeli existence. Israeli policy conversations exist. This is about existence. And so the, the person asking the question, do you guys remember, uh, her name is Alexi, oh, oh, what's her last name? Alexi, is it McDormand? So she was dating a, uh, a guy who was working for Joe Biden's White House, and it turned out he was threatening this one and insulting that one, so he got fired, and that, that was her. She was the one asking the question. She was going to get working for Politico, and she was going to get assigned to the vice president because she was dating this guy, and people were, like, worried about the pillow talk and everything else. So she's interviewing Ben and Jerry. If you disagree with the Israeli government policy, why not just stop sales completely? Well, I disagree with the U.S. policy. We couldn't stop selling in the U.S. I think it's fine to be involved with... A country to be to be a citizen of a country and to protest some of the some of the country's actions and that's essentially what we're doing in terms of Israel we hugely support Israel's right to exist mm-hmm. but we are against a particular policy you guys are big proponents of voting rights why do you still sell ice cream in Georgia Texas abortion bans why are you still selling there The silence is amazing because this is the question. You take their logic and you play it through to the end, and this is the place that you come to. Why are you still selling there? One, two, three, four, five, six. I don't know. <laughs> six full seconds of silence, and he's shrugging his shoulders, and in the end he's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting question. I don't know what, what that would accomplish. We're working on those issues of voting rights, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, you know, I mean, I think you ask a really good question, and I think I'd have to sit down and think about it for a bit. The answer is, when you don't sell in Israel, you look good to all the right people and you don't affect your bottom line. When you don't sell in Georgia, the stockholders say, what the hell are you doing? I'm, I'm sorry, two on the nose? Did we get that two on the nose? This is a great example of how um, 
the entire woke world is collapsing inward on these people. Now, Jim Garrity of National Review is scheduled to be with us in a little bit. I want to go over some of this with him. But there's a whole conversation about Joe Biden being on shaky ground with Democrats. And the the lack of faith there is in him. For example, how do you expect to have faith in Joe Biden as we watch China and Taiwan? Now, as we have seen, China wants Taiwan. Xi Jinping has said reunification must be fulfilled. And that the Chinese people had a, quote, glorious tradition, unquote, of opposing separatism. Glorious tradition means we kill those who disagree with us. I mean, that's exactly what it means in case we didn't know what it means. We're going to kill you. We're going to take back what we believe is ours. So the question is, what in the world can Taiwan do about this, and what does the United States do about this? We learned that we did have U.S. Marines, or may still have U.S. Marines, in Taiwan training forces, but as we saw from Afghanistan, maybe we're not the best at training these forces. Maybe we aren't the best at this. Because it's clear that we trained the Afghan forces in the wrong way. We taught them how to deal with air support. Then we took their air support away. Maybe we should have trained them as light infantry. Something that they are more adept towards. Maybe we misjudged altogether the willingness of the Afghans to fight for themselves. Maybe it's a mix of all the things. But if you tell people, hey, we'll be your air support, and then you're like, nah, you don't get any air support, but we've only trained you on how to deal with with, with uh, advances and defenses regarding air support, uh, you create a problem. You create yourself a giant-ass problem. So I don't know what we've been teaching them. What we do know is that the people of Taiwan have been willing to fight. And when you um, hear from... Taiwanese leadership. They talk about facing unprecedented challenges. The Taiwan president, Tsai Ing-wen, is her name, saying that we will defend our sovereignty. Well, you you have to come to the fact that there's going to be a fight. The question is, where is the United States in this? Now go back to Joe Biden. Who has faith? Who has faith in this working out? Who has faith in the United States being there to support Taiwan? Do you don't think that should happen? Okay, what are you saying about the entire Pacific Rim? What are you saying about the future of trade, the future of Chinese hegemony, the future of power In the area, what is it you're saying if you're willing to let Taiwan fall? You know what the rumor is right now? I mean, I'm I'm just saying it 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 is a it is a rumor. Taiwan has nuclear weapons. Uh yeah, that's a 
Uh, that's one heck of a rumor. That's the rumor. Now, let's say they did. They're going to be willing to use them? Well, that would mean that they're utilizing the saber-rattle defense a la, you know, North Korea. Well, that's a... That's an interesting take, man. Is this what you want? Now you're Joe Biden. You're president of the United States. You're the foreign policy guy. Well, here you go, Joe. Here's everything you ever wanted. Stop the Chinese from taking over Taiwan and engaging that level of reunification when, after all, they're going to kill all the Taiwanese or subjugate them like they did the Hong Kongers. Go on. Show us. You understand I don't agree with how Trump dealt with China regarding Hong Kongers. We should have been there with planes to take anyone who wanted to leave out. I would not have put troops in. I would have been very vocal in my opposition. You had a deal with Hong Kong. How dare you renege on a deal? Is this what we're dealing with with a partner like China? We're going to have to rethink everything. That's how you do it. That's how I would have done it. Biden can't handle this. Biden can't handle the border. Biden can't handle inflation. Biden can't handle the economy. Biden can barely handle walking from Marine One to the front door of the White House. Biden can't handle answering questions from the press corps. He turns his back and walks away. His team throws reporters out in some of the most unbelievably rude fashion. He can't handle anything. And people are stepping away from the guy. Rightfully so. So what does this mean for the future? What are Democrats gearing up for? What about Democrats who are depending on him and hope of getting some victories? We've got some elections coming up that matter greatly to the Democratic Party in terms of governorships. There's a lot here. And the only thing you and I know is that Biden is not up to the task. Biden's problem is that everybody else knows it, too. I'm Tony Katz. So yesterday, I shared with you the remarkably cringeworthy audio of Vice President Kamala Harris talking to kids there at the Naval Observatory where the Vice President lives, talking about how awesome space is. I just love the idea of exploring the unknown. And then there's other things that we just haven't figured out or discovered yet. To think about so much that's out there that we still have to learn. Like, I love that. I love that. And so I'm very excited about the Space Council. We're going to learn so much um, as we increasingly, I think, are curious and interested in the potential for the discoveries and the work we can do in space. So that's one of the things I'm most excited about. But the other... You guys are going to see, you're going to literally see the craters on the moon with your own eyes. With your own eyes, I'm telling you, it is going to be unbelievable. Producer Ari says I didn't play this yesterday. No, I would have remembered this. It, was, it, it is as cringy 
as anything else. She's there. She's got like three or four kids with her. I thought they were younger. Turns out they're teenagers. You're going to see craters on the moon with your own eyeballs. Yeah, that's bad, dude. I would have remembered this. Turns out the kids are child actors. What? No, they're not. As is being reported, one of them is a 13-year-old from Carmel, California, who was asked to submit a monologue discussing something he's passionate about and three questions for a world leader. He then interviewed with the production director, joined by another child actor, Emily Kim, Derek Brooks, uh, Zoriel Tapo, and an aspiring journalist. Uh, it was Zoriel Tapo who has interviewed Michelle Obama. They're actors. She talked to five kids about space, and they are all actors. You've got how many uh, middle schools and elementary schools and high schools in the D.C. area? Actors. Everyone in the room was an actor, you're saying? Uh, well, they were, they were there on the, on, the, on, the, on the deck, but it seems the five kids who were there were all actors one way or another. That's bad. Bad? That is perfectly perfectly Kamala Harris. Why would they risk it? Oh, I, I can explain that to you. There is no one more fake than Kamala Harris. But you could be fake to fake kids, not actors. I'm telling you she doesn't know how to relate to regular kids, and they couldn't risk regular kids saying, you sound dumb. <laughs> so what they did is they got themselves... Some pros. That's what they did. Would have been better to not even do it at that point. This this team, this Biden team is so embarrassing. Is just so is so ridiculous. I, I saw that I think it was Candace Owens was on with Tucker Carlson, and she decided that the reason that Kamala Harris acts like this is because she's mad at Joe Biden for sidelining her. And I'm like, that's so fantastically, terrifically conspiratorial. That's a bad take. It's hilarious. She's wrong. I would tell her she's wrong nose to nose. Um, but I love it. Like, like it's just so, it's so perfectly out there. Uh, Kamala Harris is sidelined because Kamala Harris is incompetent. And that's saying something in an administration run by Joe Biden. But let's dig a little deeper into what's really going on and how the Joe Biden incompetencies are playing out. Jim Garrity of National Review, he's been looking at it. We're going to break this down bit by bit. It is worse than you think, and you already think it's bad. This is Tony Katz Today. Get the name of the movie right now. I don't know why it's uh, it's 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 eluding me. Uh, but the character of Mush. Do you remember the character of 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 Mush? Not not Mush. Not like the thing uh, that you 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 eat. I'm talking about uh, the character of 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 Mush. Um, is that from a Bronx Tale? Mush. Is is the name of a character who everything he touches, everything he touch, it does, everything he tries turns to, it just falls apart. 
falls apart and fades away, becomes just a, a just a, a, a hot, hot mess. It is Bronx Tale. It's it's like uh, William H Macy uh, uh, in the movie The Closer or The Cooler. Uh, that that his job is to at a, at a at this low down low rent uh, casino, people who have a hot hand just just hang out near them, and sure enough, they kind of they they the the dice don't go in their favor. They're they're hitting sevens when they're not supposed to. Things things mess up. That's Joe Biden. That is Joe Biden. In in every single way, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Jim Garrity joins us right now from National Review, G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y. Between Two Scorpions, get the book at Amazon.com if you like a thriller. This is for you. There are plane crashes, people. Between Two Scorpions, Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. And you were writing uh, about this in an interesting way uh, in, in your piece uh, from the other day, Jen Psaki, clean up on aisle four, <laughs> which should be aisle 46, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but Yeah, uh, now I, now, I, thanks, Tony. Now, that, where was that idea when I was writing the headline? You, you never call, you never write. What am <laughs> I supposed to say? But this, this idea that it, it, if you walk down the primrose path, of everything Biden has touched in the past nine months, nothing has gone his way, and Saki has to do cleanup, and now Democrats are looking for the exits. Yeah, and by the way, maybe some of Biden's bad instincts comes from, uh, you know, being selected as Obama's vice president back in 2008. And, you know, he, I, for a long time I described him as the wacky neighbor of the Obama uh, White House, and that you know all of his you know gaffes and all the things that usually <clears throat> would be really damaging to a politician's reputation. Joe Biden got to skate by because ah, it's just that's just the way good old wacky Joe Biden is, and don't worry about how he's hugging that girl and all these other things, and you know don't worry about him using terms like shysters and and all kinds of oh, Shylocks. I'm sorry, that was another you know. Some calling somebody the wisest man in the Orient and his jokes about Indians and seven, all these things that like, you know, you couldn't be say coach of the Las Vegas Raiders and say things like that. You know, we couldn't have that. You know, but for Joe Biden, he just kind of got this pass because, you know, everybody loved Joe and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, even though people didn't really love Joe Biden. Uh, then he goes into the Democratic primary and lo and behold, he manages to win that because he's not Bernie Sanders. Then he goes into the general election, and he manages to win that because he's not Donald Trump. And none of this really is because Joe Biden is this exceptional orator who can inspire a crowd with his speeches. It's not he's not a brilliant ideas man. Allegedly, he's got he was on Capitol Hill for a long time, which people tend to blur the lines of him being good at negotiating on Capitol Hill. Um, I think you look at the way he effectively whipped against his own bipartisan infrastructure framework deal, uh, saying we don't want to pass that until we know we've got the votes for the, uh, the build back better or whatever they're calling it these days. <laughs> like it's like, like even his own allies are like, what is he doing? Wait, why, why would you wait? You've got this thing. You got the votes to pass this thing. Why are you pushing that back? Take the, you know, take the half a loaf that's on the table and then gamble with the other one. And he's like, no, no, we're going to risk both of them. Um, my colleague Charlie Cook wrote this really good piece where he kind of just began this contest as saying, you know, without saying Trump, please tell me what Joe Biden is good at. And now, the idea, you know, yeah. Hold so, on, because you've set up the greatest 
setup I have ever had on radio when you talk about the people who mention Trump as a way of somehow avoiding what it is Joe Biden is doing. This is Terry McAuliffe in your Virginia, because I want to get into this race, running for governor. He's already been governor previously, uh, a DNC stalwart, a Clinton Easter from the word go, running against Republican Glenn Youngkin. He did an interview to Terry McAuliffe with Dana Bash that he mentioned Trump so many times, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, used it as a campaign ad, and even Dana Bash insulted him. Terry McAuliffe wants to make this about a man who's not on the ballot in Virginia. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump. I'm glad I have two cups here so I can keep drinking when you uh, when you mention Donald Trump's name. Trump, Trump, Donald Trump, 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 Donald Trump, Trump, Donald Trump. He's been trying to make his Republican opponent um, a clone of Donald Trump, but that hasn't really worked so far. But that's the strategy. That's the complete and total strategy. So when you bring up this about from Charlie Cook, what what would you say about uh, Biden if you couldn't bring up Trump? Jim Garrity, National Review, this is, this is exactly what we're talking about when we talk about people running away from Biden. What I'm talking about, it's all Trump all the time. Yeah, look, for, for five years, Democrats got really comfortable. You can even say lazy with the idea of Donald Trump as, as the bogeyman, as the, the big monster in the closet that if you – don't elect them, he will come back and, and do all these terrible things. And there's this quote in the, uh, you, know, you know, that uh, the brilliant publication, The Bulwark, right, Tony? The one that's conserving conservatism. Um, people should hopefully be sensing the sarcasm in my voice. I love it when you use sarcasm. It makes me so happy. Jim Garrity <laughs> okay. using sarcasm is fantastic. So Jonathan Last writes this column, and he's, he's at this, you know, focus group of Pennsylvania Democrats. They're all Democrats, and apparently this focus group just goes terribly for Biden. And it's basically that nobody trusts him anymore. They think he's just another lying uh, politician. They don't feel like their lives have gotten better over the last nine, ten months since Biden has been off, been in office. And this is a line that, like, you know, Jonathan Last found shocking was that these people don't blame the Republicans for Biden not being able to get things done. And this is shocking to him. And I just kind of agree, like, which party controls the Senate? Which party controls the House? Those aren't very big majorities, but they are the majorities. Right now, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have a lot more to get what gets done between the, compared to Mitch McConnell and McCarthy. And that's just this is just the you know, basic fact. It's, you know, yeah, of course it's tough to keep fifty senators together, but same thing on the other side too. And oh, by the way, Biden's running the executive branch. You know, when you know, it's, it's October when you are president of the United States, October your first year. You, you know, the honeymoon is over, and you're in charge, and you don't get to keep blaming your predecessor anymore. So each time we have a lousy jobs report, each time people can't find stuff on the shelves, each time gas prices are super-duper high, each time grocery prices are higher than they were a year ago, guess what? When you're the president, you get blamed for that. And the Democrats, do, I think, puts you – know, there's a lot of bad news lately, but I think the thing that almost, like, doesn't quite make it worthwhile, but, like, we can kind of chuckle at are all the Biden fans who are shocked that things are turning out this way. Because they really did think they had somehow elected some other Franklin Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson, turning point in American history type figures. But that has to, I mean, there's the moment where you don't, you know, uh, recognize reality, where you perfect, purposefully blind yourself. Willful ignorance is, is what we could call it. Nobody, and I'm going to say nobody in the United States of America voted for Joe Biden because they thought he was a great mind. They thought he was not Trump. 
So I, mm-hmm. I would reject the premise that there are Democrats out there of, of note, elected officials, people within the media apparatchik, who are really amazed that Joe Biden is exactly this incompetent. Yeah, and look, I was going through my, my morning jolt today, and I think, you know, trying to answer Charlie's question of, of what is Biden good at. If you look at how he won the Democratic primary in 2020, you could make the argument that either he had posed in or other people had kind of projected onto him this image of the elder statesman of the party and a guy who'd always been somewhat centrist, somewhat moderate, who was going to be, you know, like the good kind of boring, stable, predictable, you know, good old Joe. You know, you weren't feeling like, you know, waking up every morning saying, oh, God, what's the president doing today? And he's rejected that role. He has abdicated that kind of role. The idea that he would be the bulwark, no pun intended, uh, against the progressive left within his party, that he would be the common sense check on on their excesses. He doesn't want to play that because I think early on the Doris Kearns Goodwins and, and, you know, of, of the world. Um, John Meacham's and these historians came in and said, you can be another FDR or LBJ. And ever since then, Joe Biden's been swinging for the fences and just completely oblivious to the fact that, one, he doesn't have the majorities that FDR and LBJ had. And two, he ain't FDR or LBJ. (laughs) Right, exactly. You know, yeah, you could say what you will about them and the, and the large spending and the and the theories, but they had uh, a, a, a sense of leadership and a sense of skill to which Joe Biden does not in any way own. Talking to Jim Garrity of National Review, G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y. Now I want to get into where the Biden effect gets its first uh, opportunity. And that wasn't in the recall of Gavin Newsom. It is in this Virginia governor's race, the Democrat Terry McAuliffe against the Republican Glenn Youngkin. This is Ralph Northam, blackface Ralph Northam's Virginia. This is where you live and breathe. But you're in the northern part that's very different than the rest of Virginia. How is this race going? And does Biden and really Terry McAuliffe's, uh, I mean, between saying that he doesn't want parents to have a say in education to this appearance with Dana Bash, it hasn't been a good month for Terry McAuliffe. How is Biden's um, a presence affecting that race? I was going to say one of the things that's kind of been surprising about this is that, you know, uh, Terry McAuliffe has been here before. He won the governor's race two cycles ago. And so most people looked at this race and said, okay, you've got a guy who already has, you know, run this kind of race before. Um, you know, I, I don't think there are a lot of Democrats who are particularly, you know, thrilled or excited about Terry McAuliffe, but you know, particularly not the progressives who are hoping, you know, something more exciting. He's an old Bill Clinton fundraiser. You know, he's a, he's a party hack, but he wasn't a disaster as a governor, uh, much to my surprise. And so people are like, okay, he's got this big advantage, and Glenn Youngkin was – really relatively unknown as a businessman who gets the nomination. Well, lo and behold, Terry McAuliffe isn't good at this campaigning thing. And he keeps saying things that sound bad on television and that basically represent um, the distilled essence of progressive elitism, particularly on issues like you know parents and their influence over what kids get taught in schools and stuff. And you know, as you played that sound by earlier, his entire campaign has been Glenn Youngkin and Donald Trump are the same person. They share the DNA. One is a clone of the other. You, and, and it's, you know, one that's not that accurate, although I think, you know, Youngkin has tried to straddle the line between being pro-Trump enough to win over the Trump voters in this state, but also not so pro-Trump that he scares away the suburbs. I, right now, I think I'm like everybody else and say I think it's going to be very close. I guess I give – I think McAuliffe is still – 
probably favored, but it feels like it's eroding by the day. Uh, and the other thing I'll just observe, again, here in, in what I call Authenticity Woods, somewhere in Fairfax County, um, I don't see a lot of Terry McAuliffe yard signs. And it's not the biggest deal in the world, but, uh, you know, this would be the area where you'd see people being excited. And I think if you're a Democrat, because he's more of the same and, you know, is not a particularly innovative or groundbreaking leader, um, I just think he's a kind of guy that Democrats have a hard time getting excited about. And I think Republicans in this state are spitting hot mad about all kinds of things from, you know, the long time it took to reopen the schools to critical race theory to all kinds of stuff they're teaching in these schools. Um, like, you know, you, know, you, you, piss, you piss off parents. You are going to motivate people to get out to the polls. And so, I, you know, the, the, the stage is set there for an upset and a Republican victory. If that, if that comes to pass, Tony, Katie bar the door because that's going to absolutely set off this, like, you know, mega panic in Democratic circles. Jim Garrity of National Review, G-E-R-A-G-H-T-Y on Twitter. And check out Between Two Scorpions. That's at Amazon.com, wherever the fine books are sold. Jim, always a pleasure. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So there's a social media trend, you know, often you'll hear about things going on on TikTok or, uh, you know, they, they're eating Tide Pods or they're doing something ridiculous. Well, this latest one is slap a teacher. Kid you not. Can't make this up. They're targeting teachers, as it's being described, and people are videotaping other kids slapping a teacher. Um... Just so we're all clear, if your kid is involved in posting something online where they slap a teacher, you better be slapping your kid. I'm not in favor of abusing children. I'm in favor of letting them know what's what. So if you've got another way to do it, you do it your way. But we're going to expel them from the school. And if you recorded the video, we're going to expel you too. If you were in the video, we're going to expel you as well. I have issues with teachers who believe in things like critical race theory. I have issues with teachers who believe that the children uh, children belong to them or belong to the schools. They don't. They belong to we, the parents, and the schools belong to the taxpayers. I have issues with these unions that push this woke nonsense, who push critical race theory and anti-racism on my kids. I do not allow people to push bigotry on my kids. I push back. You're going to slap a teacher? How about this? We, the parents, decide to slap back. They're kids. You can't do that. I guess you're right. You're expelled. You're expelled. You're gone. If you aren't explaining this to your child with that level of force, that if you're in the video, near the video, you take the video, you're gone. And whatever it costs to put you in the little private school, that's coming out of your hide. You're, you don't go on vacations. You work. You work morning, noon, and night. You do homework and you work. You work and you do homework. That's your life. You'll pay for this education. You better be ready to have that conversation with your kids. 
as I, I, I told uh, teachers on my morning show, my kid hits you, hit him back. My kids ain't going to do it. I had that conversation this morning. Oh, <laughs> my youngest was like, you think I'm going to hit a teacher? I said, no, I don't think you're going to hit a teacher. Just sharing with you what's going on. You get anywhere near anything like that, there's going to be a riot. Riot. You see, in, in, a, in a world of, of rationality, we disagree about policy, and certainly you sometimes have to fight to get your voice heard. And any school board that silences parents is a school board not worth having. And any school board that doesn't come out and say parents are not domestic terrorists, like the Department of Justice has called parents, is a school board not worth listening to. But teachers getting slapped? Oh, hell no. Expel the kid. No questions asked. Move on. You watch how quickly that stops. This is Tony Katz today.